Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode eight of Broadway Talks, where I sit down with Broadway stars and discuss the magic that is theater. In this episode, I'm joined by Spencer Howard, who has not only starred in multiple major productions, but founded companies such as Broadway Booker and Showman's Productions, as well as developed apps such as iConcierge. Hi, Spencer. How's it going, Arav? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All things considered, I'm good. Yeah, I think no one could have expected this to happen so quickly, but glad you're doing well. Yeah. So, Spencer, before we go into all the things you're doing nowadays, I wanted to go back to the very beginning. Just how did you form your love of theater? So I actually grew up uh, watching my father perform. He was a just a community theater actor. Um, I don't mean to say just, but he was a community theater actor. And so I grew up kind of just thinking theater was a normal thing that normal people do. Like he was a lawyer by day and, you know, sang and danced by night. So um, I kind of, I grew up watching him in that world. And I want to say when I was maybe, I mean, when I was really young, I did some, you know, I, I maybe played like a child in, in a show, but um, I really started performing in a like variety group that they would do these benefit concerts around Westchester. Um, and I think I was like nine, eight or nine. Um, and I loved performing. I loved the dynamic personalities. Um, I felt like I fit in, in that group. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I, I, I got bit by the bug. I also, have always loved attention. Uh, so <laughs> as the youngest child in my family, um, I, I definitely loved uh, standing out. And it was, both of my brothers were very scholastic, very athletic. Um, and I also felt like theater was the way that I differentiated myself in my family. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it, it was always so normal for me. Um, nothing seemed weird or odd or crazy about it. Mm -hmm. And so I just started doing those kind of community theater variety shows. And as soon as I was able to perform in school productions, I, I started doing it, not even necessarily because it was a huge passion for me. I just had so much fun. I had fun pretending. I had fun imagining. I loved to dance. I had so much energy. Way, way I, I was very energetic. Uh, so it was a great outlet for all of that energy. Um, and yeah, so throughout high school, I, I did all the plays. I, I kind of, I did double duty. So I was on all the sports teams. I played baseball and soccer. And then, so I would go to school all day. I'd play, I'd go to practice or have a, a, a game after school. And then after that was done, I would go straight into rehearsal. So until, a real life you know, Troy Bolton from High School Musical. Yeah, literally. Yeah, it, it was yeah, totally based on me. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it just always was one of my favorite parts of my life. Um, the time that I got to be on stage, the time that I was sharing the stage with, you know, my friends, my fellow actors. Um, so it just seemed natural that I just wanted to pursue it. I just keep wanted to keep I didn't want that to stop. So I yeah. went to college for it. Yeah. So where did you end up going to college? NYU, right? I went to NYU, exactly, went to Tisch School of the Arts. Um, I got a BFA in musical theater. 
Um, and at the time, it's not there anymore, but it was the CAP 21 program. Mm -hmm. um, I believe they still have a musical theater program. They just call it something else. But it's called I New just, Studio on Broadway now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I, yeah, I, I visited NYU. A couple of my friends went to school there. And I visited NYU and I immediately knew that that's where I wanted to go. I, I had gone to the city to see shows as a kid. You know, my parents, were, you know, I was in Westchester. So it was a very quick drive into the city. So I grew up seeing theater as well. I think it was either Phantom or Les Mis. That was my first show. And the, whatever the one wasn't the first show, it was my second show. Second show. Um, so yeah, Phantom and Les Mis. And I was obsessed. I would listen to the cast recordings nonstop. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I knew I wanted to go for theater and I applied early to NYU thinking I didn't really have the grades for it. So I didn't think I was going to get in, but I thought I would apply anyway. And I ended up getting in. So I didn't even get to the point where I, I didn't even visit or apply for other schools. That was it. Yeah. And NYU is a very prestigious school. So that's, that's very cool. And I guess a lot of people apply ED because, you know, you want to get your best chance and it worked out right. for you. So that's great. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. And I, and I, I loved NYU. It is a very distracting place to go to school. I, I'm sure that's not surprising that to go to school in New York City is, is very distracting. Especially as a theater student. Especially yeah. as a theater student. Go has everything at your fingertips pretty much yeah but but that was i felt like one of the advantages of going to nyu was that i could go and see an actual broadway show not not a regional production or a tour i could go see the real thing and even though they didn't really encourage you going to auditions uh i still went i didn't really follow many of the rules uh, i don't <laughs> i don't tend to follow the rules very well um so i, I still went into auditions and frankly I'm glad I did because I would go to actual Broadway auditions as a college student and I could see how far behind I was the other people auditioning. And it really, it actually did drive me to work harder at school. Um, and there was even a point where I, I went to a bunch of auditions and, I, and even looking at the people I was in college with, the other than my fellow students, everyone was so talented. And it was the first time that I looked at myself and I, I thought, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm, there are, there are so many people who are way more talented than I am all around me. I don't know if I, mean, I might've made a mistake. <laughs> um, so I actually took a year off of college. I, I took a hiatus and I decided, uh, I mean, my parents were petrified. They were like, he's never going back. That's it. He's gone. Um, and my thought was I would either, I was going to spend a year pretending that I was a professional graduated actor in New York city. And I was either going to work nonstop and say, who needs school? I'm not going back. Or I wouldn't book a single thing. And I'd say, well, maybe, maybe I have to find a different career path. And what actually ended up happening was I worked nonstop all year. Oh, really? And it, and it actually, uh, it lit a fire in me looking around at these amazing actors and knowing that I had more work that I could do. I did end up going after a year of working. I went back to school 
with kind of a, a renewed sense of energy. Um, and I actually finished in, I finished two years of school in one year because oh, wow. I was also very eager. <laughs> I was eager to get back out there. So I did, basically I did a summer session, a full session, and then a second summer session to get it all done okay. in a year. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, once you get the taste of probably auditioning and getting the job, it's hard to go back into a classroom almost, even though theater is so like hands-on. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was hard to go back, but also it was, I felt like I had, a, I had a much better understanding also of who I was in the theater world. Because sometimes when you're in school, who you are in your class isn't necessarily who you will be when you graduate. You know, I think, um, and uh, this is no one's fault, but at college they were, they were kind of making me the Gaston type um, of character. And in the real world, you know, I'm not 6'5", I'm not heavily, you know, a big built guy. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, I actually learned that it was to my detriment to focus only on those kind of roles. So when I went back to school, I really, I pushed them to give me material that was more maybe leading man or even like character actor stuff. Um, so it, it, it actually helped me understand when I went back to school that sometimes you have to tell your teachers what the focus should be. Um, you don't just always have to receive the information that you can actually be an active participant in your own education. Right. And so in that gap year you took, was that when you booked Legally Blonde, the tour, or did you book Legally Blonde after you graduated? That was, yeah, that, so that was after. Um, I, did, uh, I, I did like a, a, a production of Grease in that year. I did a production of West Side Story. I ended up at the end of my career, um, my theater career, I did 13 productions of West Side Story. That was my, wow. that was my bread and butter. Um, right. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's a masterpiece of a show. So really easy is. to do 13 times. But right out of college, I actually did the international tour of West Side Story. Oh, wow. For two years, which I mean, getting to be paid to tour the world right out of college is, I mean, I can't, not everyone can do that. I was so fortunate to get that opportunity and I'm so grateful that I got to see the world and get that kind of experience right out of college. It was incredible. Europe, Asia, all over. Um, and that's so understandable. Then, I mean, who wouldn't want to, it's almost like a paid vacation, but doing what you love while you're yeah, at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a couple hours a day, I would show up to the theater and do work, but the rest of it, you got to explore Europe and, you know, the, some of our favorite parts were, you know, you'd get to a city and you might have a week or two before the show actually ends up starting. So oh, really? you just, you have some off time to go travel or, or not, or just explore where you are. Um, it, it was a really a magical, magical experience. One of my favorite times of my entire life. It was incredible. Um, but after that, I, I got back to New York and that was when I, I realized, you know, okay, I've spent I spent a lot of time, you know, traveling around. Let me try and be local um, a little bit more. And I 
I tried to only take jobs that were going to be in New York City. I really wanted that like Broadway job or that local job. And it, it wasn't happening for me. And, and, you know, I was trying so hard to be like a New York actor, Broadway actor, because I think sometimes we, we tell ourselves that only this one specific thing is a sign of success. Um, we, whatever that narrative is, um, we get so fixated on it. Um, and sometimes you miss the bigger picture. And I was just so focused on getting that job in New York city. And I turned down a bunch of other work. I turned down gigs elsewhere. Um, but I was getting so frustrated because I wasn't getting that one specific thing that I wanted. Right. And I contemplated moving out to LA. And I was like, maybe I'll go to LA. I have a bunch of friends out there. Maybe I'll like try my hand at TV film. A lot of actors kind of probably, you know, New York actors, I think go through that phase where they're like, maybe, maybe LA is better for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was maybe a couple of weeks away from making that decision and pulling the trigger when I booked Legally Blonde. And that was um, again a touring actually, show, right? Yeah. So it was, a, it was a touring show, but it was the first national tour, which is still kind of the closest step to a Broadway show. Um, and so I, I felt I had to take it. Um, you know, Jerry Mitchell was setting it. So I was going to get experience working firsthand with Jerry Mitchell, Dennis Jones, Mark Bruni, all these guys um, were involved and they are the, huge the Broadway names. World. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's actually a funny story how I got the opportunity to do that. I was not, not surprising. I was doing a production of West Side Story. Yeah. Um, and there was a, I was playing riff and there was a part of the show where uh, in the dream sequence where I get, I get lifted by some of my jets and one of the jets, uh, his pants, the pants they gave him were so tight that he, he couldn't properly squat to lift me. And on one of the very last shows, he went to lift me and blew out his back. No. And he, I mean, dropped to the floor. I mean, literally agonizing pain. We were so worried for him. And we're like, oh my God, like, are, are, are you okay? Like, don't worry, you don't have to finish the show. Like, let's get you off. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not upset about the show. I'm upset because I'm supposed to start rehearsals for the Legally Blonde tour next week. Oh. He threw his back out before he was supposed to go rehearsal to do rehearsals for Legally Blonde. That production of West Side Story closes. I get a call from my agent that um, they want to see me for Legally Blonde. And I'm like, oh, no, I know what this is for. This is for Ward's role. They said, yeah, absolutely. How'd you know? And I was like, he hurt himself lifting me. And I went in and I ended up booking Ward's role as the swing and the first person I called was Ward because I was like I have to let you know I booked your track yeah and I, 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 I needed to tell you that in person before you found out otherwise and he said to me he was like Spencer I have to tell you if anyone was going to take my spot in that tour I'm glad it was you um which was really that's sweet nice, of him yeah. yeah so that's that's how I I got the Legally Blonde tour in essence, by breaking Ward's back. Yeah. So I wanted to touch back on the international tour of West Side Story that you did. So sure. 
I mean, that was still a while ago, but I wanted to know if you remember how you kind of dealt with the jet lag that you were probably facing from moving to so many different cities and how you sort of stayed focused on the show while having so many other things going on. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, sorry. Um, basically, one of, the, one of the fastest rules I learned is when you fly international or go anywhere, do not go to sleep. Do not take a nap. You're going to be exhausted. Stay up. That first day is the most essential day to get your body on the right clock. Um, that, that was one of the main things I learned about traveling around. Now, fortunately, they were very smart about how they have the tour go, obviously, because they have to move sets, too. So the, the sets have to be trucked around. So once you got to Europe or once you got to Asia, the major destination, from there, there wasn't too much jet lag and travel. Um, you, you, I mean, we, we traveled a lot by bus. Um, and so that was easier, the whole jet lag. Um, but there was definitely an element of, of, it's one thing to familiarize yourself in a city in your own country to, I don't know, hop on a bike and ride around and get familiar. And it's another to be in a completely foreign country where a lot of times you don't even speak the language. You can't read the signs. Of course. Um, I, I think now how, you know, I have Google Translate on my phone. And if I'm traveling in, in Asia or a place where there isn't any English subtitling on signs, which a lot of places there are English subtitles, um, you know, now I, I hold up my phone and Google Translate will translate the sign for me. Right. We had none of that back when I was doing those tours. So you just had to figure it out on your own. And I will tell you, being dropped into a new city with no tour guide, no, you know, no guidance, really, it does make you very brave. You, you, learn, to, you learn that you have to be brave when you're going around and, um, and exploring a new city in a new country. And in a way, I know we haven't even talked about hospitality yet, but it, I feel like it made me a much more compassionate and empathetic person in hospitality. Because when you look at some of these people who, you know, I hear someone's like, hey, how do you get to this theater? And someone will say, oh, you make a left out of the doors and then your first right on Broadway and then go down two blocks and make your next right on 44th. When you're in a foreign country, when you're in a new city, when you're in a place where you don't even really have a full grasp of the language, you don't hear directions like that. Like you, it, it, it is, I encourage everyone if they can to travel as much as you can to places that are scary, that maybe you don't even, you don't even have like a desire to go just to get immersed in what it feels like to be a complete stranger in a brand new place. Um, it is so humbling and it, I feel like you cannot help but be a little more empathetic to other people mm -hmm. um, if you experience that yourself. Yeah, because I remember a couple of years ago when I went to New York City, I mean, I speak English fluently, you know, there's no language barrier or anything, but just asking directions and people there are so used to knowing the street names and blocks right. and all of that sort of thing. So coming from um, living in Asia my whole life, it was so, so different. And so I totally get what you're saying that just the thing of the natural language of directions in, di in different countries are so different to everywhere else yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you touched upon hospitality a little bit. So I wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you how you moved from that realm of being an actor into the realm of working in the field of hospitality. Absolutely. Um, Well, first of all, I didn't know this, but when I was on the Legally Blonde tour, uh, one of the performers was constantly talking about how much she loves her survival job, which, you know, for everyone listening, obviously it's actor. When you're an actor, you assume you're not going to be working all the time. And unless you have a ton of savings, when you're not performing, you have to make money. You know, you, you have, you have rent to pay, you have bills. So um, a lot of us, most of us get survival jobs. Um, and she talked about how much she loved working at the W hotel in Times Square. And I didn't think much anything of it because I never considered myself someone who was going to work in the hospitality world. But after Legally Blonde, um, I came back to New York and I, I had like a renewed sense of, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the boards again. And I'm really going to try to book that Broadway show in New York. And I, I want to stay here. I want to get that gig. Um, and months started rolling by and that gig wasn't coming. And I was watching my savings start to dwindle. I was like, man, I, I need to get a job. So I actually, for a brief instant, started selling merch uh, at Broadway shows. Uh, a, a friend of mine sold merch on the Legally Blonde tour and so I reached out. I was like, hey, I know that this is like a, an option and it's in the world of Broadway. Um, would you mind helping me get a job selling merch? So I did that for a little bit. I will say when you are a performer, a Broadway performer, a theater performer, trying to get a job on Broadway, it can be pretty emotionally difficult to show up to a theater every night not to perform, to mm-hmm. sell merch in the lobby. Um, And I very quickly realized that that job was not bringing me joy. Um, And it just so happened, it was really a coincidence that I was starting to question whether or not I even wanted to continue pursuing a career in theater. I was sick of, you know, this job selling t-shirts and out of the blue, this same friend, the same coworker who had the survival job at the W sent me an email completely out of the blue and said, hey, I don't know where your brain is at as far as theater, but if you were interested in the hospitality world, there's a position that's opened up as concierge at the W. I think you'd be great for it. Would you consider coming in? Um, The only thing is, this is a full-time job. This is not like a survival job. You would be expected to be here full-time. And I thought a lot about it. And I said, you know what? Even if I give this a year, five years, theater will always be there if I change my mind. Um, I'll have to get back in shape, but theater doesn't go away. I said, you know what? Let's do it. I'm going I'm to just take a, a bold move and try it. And I went into hospitality knowing really nothing about working in hotels, but I drew from what I knew literally living out of hotels for almost 10 years of my life as an actor. Um, And I fell in love with being a concierge. I fell in love with hospitality. Um, It was a great fit. And what I learned too was actors make great hospitality people. We, We are naturally outgoing. We are naturally friendly. We know how to talk to people. We can improvise. 
Um, if things go wrong or people have questions, we know how to roll with punches. And also, we are not afraid of failure. We are oh, yeah. used to, we're used to not booking the gig. We're used to that feeling of, all right, well, today didn't go my way, but tomorrow will. And in hospitality, you have those days in, frankly, probably in any regular, you know, nine to five job, you have those days. But um, I feel like actors are really uh, inadvertently trained to be great at hospitality. Um, so yeah, so I really, I loved that world. I loved that job. Um, but it was definitely hard. You know, I think it took almost, I'd say a year and a half to maybe two years before I was able to stop calling myself an actor. It's hard. It's hard to make those transitions and people don't necessarily always talk about that transition time where um, there's a great book that I read actually in college that I didn't think would apply, but it's called Becoming an X. And it applied to whether you were getting divorced. It applied to if you were um, coming out as uh, gay, bi, trans. It was if you were changing jobs, becoming an ex something. Um, and we don't necessarily give a lot of um, weight to how emotionally taxing it is to become known as something and then have to change what you call yourself, what you, you know, yourself identifying as. Of course, especially since um, you were training in that one field for so, so long, that has become yeah. a part of who you consider yourself as. Yeah, and, uh, and in a way, I, I, I considered being an actor a, a sense of, I had a sense of pride about it. I wore it as a badge on my sleeve that, that I was willing to do this really difficult thing um, for a very long time. And it was hard to get past the notion of feeling like a failure, quote unquote, because I was leaving the industry. Um, and it, it, actually, I was, I was talking with Rob McClure about it, and he had a great point that, you know, we talk about, we talk about if people leaving the industry and the feeling of being like a failure, or I didn't make it, or, and it's, if you could reframe it as realizing that you've grown, you've actually grown in a different direction, and you're a different person than you were when you were performing and hitting the boards, and um, you've just kind of morphed and grown into a new human being. Um, and you, there's no, you can't look at it as whether or not I failed. The more I thought about it, I realized I was able to sustain myself and live as an actor for a decade. You know, that in itself is a huge accomplishment. And so oh, sure. to, to be able to reframe it and, and find pride in the accomplishments as opposed to judging yourself based on what you feel you didn't do. There's a million things I didn't do. So why go around judging yourself by those million things? Right. So I wanted to touch back a little bit on the survival jobs part of it all. So as an actor, you have to be ready whenever an audition comes, basically. Mm -hmm. Your agent will call you and say you have an audition tomorrow at 4 p.m. for this show or, you know, however it works. So how did you kind of navigate your way around auditions while having a job? Was the job more you work your own hours type of thing or how did that work? Uh, it really, um, there's no like cookie cutter, one size fits all. Um, 
hopefully anyone who gets a survival job, um, part of the notion of a survival job is that it is flexible. Um, that is one of the things that if you are to get a survival job, the point is that you're getting a job, even just the word survival, you're doing it just to have the basics, the basic amount of money just to survive in the city. Um, you're not doing it to be, to, to make a, a lucrative career in it. Um, and I think, I think sometimes I see some actors fall into that, um, the pitfall of putting so much stock in the survival job that it stops becoming flexible. Um, and that's the, those are the times when then you, you start to have to choose between going to work and, and, and auditioning. Um, and hopefully you don't have to make the choice, you know, either, or, um, even at the W even, you know, I, some of the, um, some of the most impressive, uh, uses of the survival job, I would see some of our front desk agents um, and our front desk agents at the hotel, there, there was way more flexibility with the schedule. So you saw a lot of actors working the front desk, but there were actors who knew, okay, so auditions, open calls happened, you know, at 9am, 10am. So I'm going to work the overnight shift and I'm going to, I'm going to work from you know, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., I'm going to go hit the gym, warm up, and be the first one at the audition at 9 a.m., and then when the audition is done, I'll go home and go to sleep. Um, you do what you can to make that stuff work. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely important in a survival job that there be some flexibility that you can call your boss or call a coworker and switch shifts. If you're working as a bartender or a waitress, like that happens all the time. Hey, I got an audition. Could you take my shift for me? So um, th those are the ways around having a job and auditioning at the same time. But it is not easy. It is full time, 24 hours a day you are thinking about it. Right. So now let's move on to the things you're doing right now. So right now you're working on Broadway Booker. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I kind of want Correct. you to tell me a little bit more about it since you've been there from the very beginning. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, backing up a little bit, I created Showman's Productions, which is my production company. Um, and the notion was to put on concerts, um, put on live events. Uh, and we did a, a really, really successful Rock of Ages reunion concert. That's like one of the one of my favorite things that I've I've produced. And I wanted to do more of that. But I, I was finding that the New York City con Broadway concert world was so saturated. There was so much going on so many concerts. Um, and I was in the midst of trying to figure out what I could do that wasn't concert based. And I realized that um, at the time, my wife and a bunch of my friends were, were getting a lot of work at gigs like events, you know, um, whether it's a sporting event or a wedding or a bar mitzvah, they were getting these great jobs uh, working singing at these gigs. And so um, my wife and I were like, what if we pivot 
and create a world where we, we create these kind of jobs for our friends. We create these gig jobs um, and for all of our friends who are unemployed, get them some extra work. So that was when we kind of created Broadway Booker. So in essence, I wanted to make, there, there are many companies out there that book Broadway performers for these shows. So I wasn't new to this world, but I noticed that in all of these situations, in all of these agencies, all these people who did this, you had to email them, you had to put out a, an offer, you had to negotiate with them. The, you know, they would have to go back and forth with the agents of the performers. It was a, a complicated process. So I just figured we have the technology now, what, what if we simplify the process? And so that's when Broadway Booker was created. You know, we, we made it to be, in essence, the Airbnb of booking a Broadway performer for a gig. So, where someone, so you're kind of just like the third party platform, but it's right. employer to uh, performers where the main uh, point of contact is. Exactly. So instead of it being from the, you know, the performer who then has an agent, who then is in contact with this booking company, who then is in contact with the client, there are five pieces of negotiation that have to happen in order to make a gig happen. Why can't it be so much simpler than that? Why can't there just be a single middleman? And that's what I tried to accomplish, just to be a, a simple technology-based middleman to get the performer and the client directly connected. Um, and then COVID happened. <laughs> right. So... You know, so how long before this whole COVID quarantine and everything did you start Broadway Booker? It was about a year. It was okay. about a year from inception. Okay. Um, from the inception, figuring out what I wanted it to be, building the platform took some time, um, getting my roster of performers, figuring out how, what the payments should be, et cetera, et cetera. All of that um, you know, patiently took about a year, a little less than a year before we were actually then putting it out there. And we had actually quite a few bites, um, but all of those didn't uh, pan out, mostly because, uh, mostly because the, I think a lot of people don't realize just how much goes into a Broadway performer coming to your event to sing. It seems simple. It seems like, oh, don't they just show up and they sing on the mic? And no, there's, uh, if you need specific songs, you have to have that music arranged. You have to obviously hire the Broadway performer. There has to be sound. There has to be possibly lighting, acoustics, all of that. There's so much more that goes into it. Um, and so I think what seems like something that's so simple is actually much more complicated. And I was trying to make it as simple as possible. And I was really, I was starting to find ways to make it as affordable as we could while having all of those elements there. And that's kind of when COVID happened. Um, and so we, all of that work that we were putting into it, we we're like, well, what do we do now? What, you know, what, <laughs> what can we do? Right. And yeah. And what we realized is we, we still had that platform that was created. We still had a platform where a client could be directly 
connected with a Broadway star. So we just pivoted. We pivoted and made it voice lessons and Q&As. The infrastructure was already there for it. Um, and frankly, I was an army of one. You know, I, I do everything for the company. I build the website. I build the, um, the booking portal. I schedule, I reschedule, I do payroll, I do all of it. And so um, our needs are simple. And so that's how we're able to keep the prices low. And, you know, there are a lot of other companies that are out there that, that do what we do. We are not new or original, um, but for better or worse, a lot of these companies did a lot of live and in-person teaching events. Right. Um, and so they have a lot more infrastructure that costs money. They have more staff that costs money. They have more insurance. They have, some of them have brick and mortar offices. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the advantages I had was that it's just me. <laughs> um, so we've really been able to be a very affordable option for people. Um, and I truly feel like that has been the major success of Broadway Booker is not that we're doing anything unusual or new, um, but that we've been able to simplify it for people, both in the in the processing and in the pricing. Right, and as a client of Broadway Booker, I've seen you guys grow so much over the past couple of months, like from where you started, and now your roster has grown so much. Your your students have yeah. grown so much. So how, so how did you kind of, because there was really a spike almost in how fast you grew and how many new clients and how many new performers you got. So how did you keep track of all of that with just being a one man show almost? Yeah. Um, triple backups, triple backups of everything. Uh, everything I write down, I have like three versions of it. I have it on my computer. I have it in an email and then I have it in a, a written ledger. Like literally it's the only way I was able to do it. Um, especially being one person because when it's one person and there's such a quick spike, it is very easy for things to fall through the cracks. Um, and, and we haven't been perfect. There have absolutely been things that have not worked. Um, and so trying to keep up has been a full-time job as well. Um, you know, we, we were not automated at, at first, you know, our booking process was literally me manually taking payments every time. And that wasn't sustainable anymore. So we had to automate a booking process. Um, that was just a, a necessity to, and that cost money. So I think we had to like add $5 onto every booking, but the, those are the things that you, as you are growing, you just kind of start to realize that you just have to do, you have to keep moving forward and you have to learn both with all the mistakes and all the things that go wrong, but all the things that are going wrong. And you have to continually question and analyze what is happening. You know, you realize, okay, you know, we are, we're offering something on our page and no one's booking this one specific thing. Great. Uh, let's get rid of it and put something else on there. You have to, I, I read, um, uh, what was it? 
Yes, uh, I was reading a book called Anti-Fragile and he used a great word, which is tinkerer. And it really, it struck with me because I, in a way, I, I kind of feel like the word entrepreneur has taken on, um, some people just roll their eyes really hard uh, with that word now. And I understand why. Um, but that word, it, it, I loved it because I was like, that's what I am. I feel like I'm a tinkerer. I'm someone who just tries something to try it. And sometimes it fails and sometimes it works, but I just at least try, I try. Um, and that's kind of where Broadway Booker has been going and growing is I'm just trying stuff. I'm seeing what works. I, you know, I did summer camp this past summer, never did a virtual summer camp before. And I was so scared to do it, but I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make it happen. Um, and with tons of support from my wife, helping me figure out what the program would be. Um, we, we made it happen, but that's, I think, I think theater people also make great, whether you want to say entrepreneurs or tinkerers, because I feel like we, we use our imaginations all the time. Oh, yeah, because it's not so much logic based either. Like, obviously, you have to incorporate logic and just can it work or not. But there's also the thing of not everything has to be the same as what everyone else is doing. Right. Right. And just because other people are doing something doesn't mean you can't put your own spin on it. It's just like being an actor. You're like, yeah, of course, there are there are 18 other people that could cast that, that they could cast in this role and it would be fine. But I'm the only one who could be me and bring what I bring. So I feel like that's one of the most important things to remember is that even if you see that something exists, if you are passionate about it and if you think that you have great ideas that could be applied to it just because someone else has been doing it doesn't mean that you can't make it a success because of you you are always going to be the unique thing that you get to bring to your company your job whatever it is um and so yeah that i also feel like that's been one of the successes of broadway booker is that i i don't put myself front and center but i make myself available and I think that for any company, one of the best things you could do is to humanize yourself because otherwise you're just a company. You're just a title with a logo. But it's important to show people that you are not just a company, that especially if you're starting something up, that you're a real human being that also has feelings and has right. ideas. And so I have made sure that anyone who is booked through Broadway Booker, or even just had questions who didn't even book, that I am available. I am the one answering questions. I, I am the, you know, I am always here for anyone who's interested. And I think that, I think that our clients feel that. And I think that that makes a difference too. Yeah, 100%. Because you don't want to be dealing with an automated response half the time when you have a real question. And I guess that's yeah. where like, your thing of the support that you're getting comes in. Cause like you said, you're not just doing like just getting new people on the roster. You're not just doing payroll. You're doing everything. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Full, uh, full time all the time. <laughs> right. 
So now this is a question that I kind of ask everyone, but I'm going to change it a little bit for you. So I usually ask them what is their dream role because they're mainly just theater performers, but I want to change it and just ask you what your dream job is. So it could be a theater acting role. It could be a job at a specific company, or it could just be what you're doing right now. Yeah, sure. No, that's a great question. Um, I think my dream job has, has always actually been fairly similar. I, I, for a long time, it was like, I can't do anything but be a Broadway star. Broadway, that's all I want to do. And um, uh, for a long time, that was, that was definitely how I felt. But I think that, interestingly enough, my career as an actor and all the traveling I did made me just realize how much I love experiencing new cultures, new places. So, um, and I'm also obsessed with food, cuisine, cocktails. So I definitely, I mean, I know people say this all the time, but like a, an Anthony Bourdain style, like travel host, I would love to go around and, and not only experience new cultures and food and locations for myself, but also get to bring people along with me mm -hmm. to see what some of these places are like. It, I guess it goes back to what I said earlier, which is I think it's so important for everyone to understand things outside of their own bubble. Um, and so I would love to bring people along on that journey to get experiences and see, you know, faces, skin colors, cuisines, everything that is unfamiliar to them. So I, I think some kind of like travel related food job would be would definitely be uh high on my list yeah and list. that sounds like a dream really yeah, yeah. yes so well I'm like i for, for a little time i was i was trying to like blog about it but what i realized is i don't actually like writing blogs i i like performing um i clearly like being uh on the camera um <laughs> so i would like to host but i i, I you know, for a while, it was like, oh, maybe I can go and like, I can write reviews for hotels and stuff like that. But honestly, I, I tried writing a few. I was like, this isn't exciting to like sit down at a desk and start writing out a review that I, I don't get I don't get joy out of that. But I do like, you know, showing people on camera around. Right. And that's so normal for somebody who's yeah. into theater and acting. It's so normal for you to want to be showing instead of telling because that's what it's all about. Yep. So final question, do you have any advice for somebody who wants to change career paths from the theater industry? Absolutely. Um, it's, if you are thinking of leaving a career in theater, I know it's scary. I know, uh, I know you'll, you'll probably have questions about whether or not you are giving up or if that you're a failure. Um, not that you will, but there, there's a good chance you're feeling those things. Um, and I feel like you have to treat yourself with grace and kindness and try and take some of the pressure off of yourself. Um, and the thing that allowed me 
to leave theater because it is scary. It's scary to leave something that you've, you've committed yourself to doing and have done for a while. Um, the thing that allowed me the space to leave was the notion that if I change my mind, I can come back. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. You can always change your mind. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that. We feel like everything is final. Nothing is final. Um, death is the only thing that's final. <laughs> everything else, you always have a choice. And remember that. If you have to write it down in a journal or put a reminder on your phone every day, um, nothing's final. You can always change your mind. Um, and, and that will, I hope, give you space to make the choice knowing that you can always change back and, and give yourself time, give yourself time. Um, you know, don't, don't make it like, I, okay, I have to, I have to decide now. No, there's no rush. Take your time, give yourself space and nothing's final. And you know, theater is also not the hardest industry to get into either. It's, relaxed to go back to an audition or to book another job. It's not as, you know, tight as not working at a company for five years in business and wanting to get back in a CEO position or something like that. Absolutely. But there, I will say, you know, it is very interesting with anything you do. It doesn't matter if it's a, a physical job or a mental job or an emotional job when you stop doing that job for a long time, you lose those muscles, right? Whether it's singing, whether it's, uh, I mean, listen, I go on vacation sometimes. I can't even remember the password to get into my, you know, work account. <laughs> Some, sometimes when you, when you give yourself a break and you go away, you lose some of that sharpness. Um, and so, you know, th that's always been the thing for me. I'm like, I, if I ever want to go back into theater, I can always go back. I just have to acknowledge that I will probably have to start taking voice lessons again, dance lessons again, just to get myself back in shape. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, there's no prerequisite to be on Broadway. Zero. You, you know, you could, I know lawyers who have, or accountants who have gone and been on Broadway. There's no prerequisite. You can always go on if you have the talent and you are easy to work with. It's always an option. Um, so yeah, it, it, it takes some relief. It, it's not like a doctor position where, you know, if you let your license uh, expire, you have to go and get a new license. You have to, you have to start over. Um, yeah, if you are, if you have the talent and the ability, you could always go back. So. Um, it's similar, but different. Right. That's a great piece of, pieces of advice. Well, that's a wrap. So thank you so much for joining me today, Spencer. It was my pleasure. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. So look out for episode nine airing next Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.